Totally Football Show, totally ready for the new season to start. Crack open the off-brand energy drinks, pass the DP, and let's upload something very, very wrong to our social media channels. Today, like an 80s kid wasting their pocket money at the newsagents, we're all about the transfers. Just don't tell Poch. Plus, we'll talk Community Shield, the best, Ronaldo's latest litigation, and bad times for Ferry and Bolton. Dancing our way into your ears like David James in the Strictly Ballroom, brackets clumsily, this is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, welcome one and all. How nice to have you with us. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, warming the throne for AC Jimbo for the final time. Alongside me today, after getting his first run out of the new campaign on Monday, he's back once again, though not with the ill behaviour. He's a very polite young man. Still sporting the shades, it's Tom Williams. Hello. Hello. And alongside Tom, our very own stat man, he, you and I will be relieved to know that our scat man John fascination has reached its natural conclusion. Despite that, he'll still be wheeling out the most obscure facts resting in that delightful coconut of his. Hello, Duncan Alexander. Hello. Local hero there. We're playing that in memory of Sir Bobby Robson, who passed away 10 years ago this week. It's been announced that the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation has so far raised £13.5 million to fund treatment and patient care for people suffering from cancer. Their initial target was half a million. Incredible stuff. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right, let's start today with Maurizio Pochettino. The Spurs manager, and that moniker is significant as we've discovered, gave a rather surly press conference after his team's 1-0 friendly win over increasingly beleaguered Real Madrid in Munich on Tuesday, which they then followed up with a win on penalties against Bayern to claim the prestigious Audi Cup. When asked about his squad and specifically Danny Rose, Poch said, I am only coaching them and trying to get the best from them. Sell by players, sign contract, not sign contract. I think it's not in my hands, it's in the club's hands and Daniel Levy. Now, when Poch signed a new Spurs contract back in 2016, his job title changed from head coach to manager, which would suggest he at least has some input into the incomings and outgoings at the club. He says his title should now revert back to that of coach. Tom, is this another sign of of Mopo looking for the sign marked exit? We've heard him talk about how he might have quit had Spurs won the Champions League. I think this is more a case of him sending out a message. I don't think it it hints at any sort of deep-lying malaise. I think it's a a veiled message to Daniel Levy to get his skates on when it comes to finalising the squad because here we are a week out from the start of the season and although Tottenham rightly got a lot of plaudits for uh, securing the signature of Tangi Ndombele which which felt like potentially a, a transformative transfer for them in the sense that this is a guy that was being chased by some of Europe's biggest clubs and he chose to go to Spurs. They've not signed anyone um, apart from that. Um, Kieran Trippier has obviously gone off to Atletico Madrid so that they're looking a bit thin in certain areas, uh, noticeably at, at fullback and that that thorny issue of, of who plays second fiddle to Harry Kane. So I, I think this is a case of, of Pochettino sort of flexing his muscles a bit and 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 making his his displeasure plain without without going any further than that. Um, obviously we'll see how things evolve over the next week or so in terms of transfers, but it for me it, it felt like yeah, it, it felt more like posturing than anything else. Duncan Brinkmanship can be a, a risky game to play with with Daniel Levy. We hear that they're best buds 
away from the pitch. They go whitewater rafting and stuff together. Um, is there any what chance that... that is, by the way? <laughs> I know, what? it's great. Well, apparently Levy fell out and Pochettino hauled him back into the boat, which, uh, you know, wow. maybe a metaphor for something. Uh, but might Levy grow a bit weird of this kind of public grievance airing? Possibly. Um, I've looked at some respected Tottenham fans' views on this and, you know, some of them are saying, well, it's to be expected with a shorter transfer window. But a lot of them have made the point that, you know, you look at Liverpool last season, straight after they lost the Champions League final, they added Fabinho and then not long after that, Alisson, which basically... You know, sorted their team out ready for the for the new season. Um, and Pochettino is very much a manager who benefits from a long pre-season with his players. You know, shaping them ahead of the new campaign. So I think I can understand his frustration. Um, and it's the same with players outgoing as well. You know, Danny Rose has given time off to sort of you know explore his options, but is now back in the team. Uh, Christian Eriksen said he wanted to go, but is happy to stay if no one comes in for him. No one's coming in for him. So it, it's sort of it's almost like the the malaise of Tottenham not buying players has now infected the club so much that it's in every single person's DNA um, and no one can get out. There's a really good piece on Football 365 by Seb Stafford-Bloor on this and, and in it, Tom, he mentions Ryan Sessegnon and Giovanni Lo Celso as two players that, that Pochettino wants to bring in. If they get those two, would, would that be enough to keep him happy and, and keep Spurs maybe as title challengers but certainly as, as top four mainstays? It's hard to say. I mean, on the one hand last season is proof that you can achieve great things without signing anyone. I mean, I think even before the season had started, there was a feeling that Spurs didn't possess the requisite squad depth to to go deep into the Champions League and to remain competitive in the Premier League. And obviously they, they proved that they could. So, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't read too much into into the importance of transfers but at, at the same time you can you can see where Pochettino is coming from i think he will have felt that last season what he achieved was pretty remarkable and when you think that spurs hadn't bought a single player in the two previous transfer windows or the, the two transfer windows that that occurred before and during the season it's pretty miraculous that he took them to the Champions League final, that he kept them in the Champions League places in the Premier League. And, and I'm sure he would have felt after the Champions League final that that he deserved some investment in the squad because how else can you possibly hope to, to take what remains a, a relatively thin squad to the next level, whatever that might be, without investment? Um, so I, th- I think Spurs could probably do with three or four new players. Whether they're going to get them, I'm not sure. But uh, in a way, Pochettino is a victim of his own success because as much as he may rail against the, the constraints that he must put up with, he's also demonstrated time and time again that he is capable of getting so much out of out of a thin squad uh, and last season's a perfect example so you know in a way if if he wanted to show that there was a, a pressing need for investment in the squad reaching the Champions League final almost worked against him in a way yeah I mean it was a very strange season last season for Tottenham and it's it's difficult to see how it's going to then progress this season I mean they lost 13 times in the Premier League which only four fewer than Southampton who came uh, 16th and that Champions League run was, I mean, I think it's fair to say a bit fortuitous. They were pretty much out in the group stage and they just, you know, kept... And that's that's what can happen in cup competitions. That is essentially cup competition. So I don't think that will happen again next season. And it's arguable, yes, Arsenal Manchester United might struggle again next season. But Tottenham are in a, in a kind of odd scenario where they could improve, but they could easily drop back quite a lot as well. Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign. And that's why Huddersfield Town's kit won't have our logo on it at all. 
Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power, save our shirt. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Transfers, maybe are happening. Maybe not at Spurs, but they're happening with increasing frequency elsewhere. Remember, listener, the transfer window in England closes before the start of the new season this year. Yeah, if I've got my terminology correct, the window will be slowly pulled back into a closed position on Friday of next week. That's the 9th of August. On that, Polish Bielsa asks, What are your thoughts on the shortening of the transfer window? In my opinion, surely a great change and you can already feel more teams having stability before the season starts. Maybe not Spurs in in that regard, Tom. But it's definitely a good thing, certainly for the players, I would guess, that you know it, it might be late in the case of a Harry Maguire or somebody like that, but you're not going to be starting the season playing for one team and then a week later playing for another. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a positive move. Um, and from a sort of sporting perspective, it, it, it seems fairer that teams are having to go into the season with their squads already settled. You get the feeling that, the Premier League clubs perhaps haven't fully adapted to it yet. The fact that so many of them are still casting around trying to get players in through the door, you know, this late in the day. But yeah, I think it's, I think, I think for the Premier League, it's a positive. I think the only issue is the fact that you don't, there isn't yet homogeneity with the other major European leagues. And that's what makes it difficult because there will be clubs who will lose players between the start of the Premier League season and the beginning of September when the transfer windows close in Spain, Italy and Germany and France. And and that's obviously problematic. I guess the ideal thing would be if the rest of Europe fell into line behind the Premier League. But yeah, from a personal perspective, I'm quite, I'm quite happy that once the season begins, there's no longer any transfer tour you can just get straight into the football and 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 not be constantly wondering where where people are going and and who's going where Duncan I guess there therefore European clubs might be saying this time next week okay well you want to sign Paolo Dybala or Keane yeah 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 let's stick another 10 million pounds yeah as Tom said I think it's without the homogenization it does put Premier League clubs at a slight disadvantage and also all those European clubs they're not going to be going I'm not sure if Premier League clubs got any money to spend because I think <laughs> we know that they do so I mean personally I kind of miss the the old system where you could buy a player at any point up until the end of March you know Eric Hansen are going to United in November you could kind of see how the season was going and just you know go on a little shopping spree but times change well, there's been movement and rumours thereof between Serie A and the Premier League, but don't take my word for it. Take the word of actual Italian football expert James Horncastle, who joins us now in the studio via the magic of audio. James, first question, Lukaku for Dybala, is it on? <laughs> it is on, yeah. Lukaku, who has looked like he's going to Inter for almost all summer, while well, now transpires that uh, he's closer to Juventus. It's an interesting one, this, because I think after signing uh, Matthias De Ligt and some other players, uh, Juventus need to bring in some money. And it will be, if this happens, it will be United paying Juventus for this deal to happen because Juventus value Dybala higher than, than Lukaku. So, yeah, it's a curious one because ultimately I think both these teams have either different needs, different priorities, or in Juventus's case, if it comes to a striker, then someone who's got a different skill set to Lukaku in order to play the kind of football that Maurizio Sarri wants. But to go back to the United side of things, Dybala, ultimately the decision is going to rest with him because I think he, <laughs> it's come as a bit of a shock 
to learn that he's on the transfer market. He wanted to play on the Maurizio Sarri, new coach. I think had Allegri stayed, then he would have already been kind of looking to leave Juventus just because it was difficult for Allegri to find a place for him in his system as it was then at Juventus. But I think Dybala's really enthused about the idea of playing under Maurizio Sarri. So all of a sudden to be told, well, we've got offers from we've got an offer from United and um, Spurs are interested too. Yeah, ultimately it's going to come down to him and whether he wants to go, in United's case, to a team that isn't playing Champions League football and is not a contender, you might say, not only for the Champions League but also for the Premier League. Even if they end up paying a fee for him, it feels like United have got the better end of that deal. But what would Lukaku bring to the old lady that they don't have at the moment okay so after selling Ken uh, to Everton Dybala leaving as well they need to kind of rejuvenate that forward line if you like and Lukaku is still young he's played a hell of a lot of football scored a lot of goals um, both for his country and for clubs in the Premier League so there is an attraction there it's not a complete sort of obvious fit I think him and Juventus in that uh, I think Sarri uh, expects his centre forwards players to be to be different to to be able to combine, be able to uh, sort of bring other players into play. I'm not sure that is entirely Lukaku's forte, but is it Sarri calling the shots here, or is it Cristiano Ronaldo? And certainly the brief is that Cristiano wants a centre forward who can occupy the minds of not just one centre back but two centre back, three different players, and create the kind of space and the openings that he feels he needs in order to be as decisive as he wants to be. I still tend to think that if you're an opposition manager drawing up a game plan to tackle Juventus, you're going to be saying, we need to man-mark the hell out of Ronaldo, not everyone else on the team. So it's from Juventus' point of view, I think this is mostly financial in that selling Dybala now for the money that's been talked about would represent a huge profit and would look very good on their balance sheet. So, but yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. So just how mad is Antonio Conte? Obviously missed out on getting Lukaku at Chelsea. Is he already starting to point fingers at the Inter board for not getting the deal over the line? So it was his 50th birthday yesterday, Matt. It wasn't a very happy birthday. Um, And already two weeks into his tenure as Inter coach, I was there in Singapore for his first press conference and he took all the kind of local journalists aback by saying, God, we're a bit behind. This isn't good, is it? You know what I mean? Come on, I expected... I expected us to be further along. And, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, but did the other people in the club put pressure on themselves as well? Because they should. So, yeah, he's been disappointed not only in the failure to sign Lukaku, but also Edin Dzeko, who wanted to partner Lukaku. Um, there's been little progress in that deal with the event, uh, Roma holding firm. Um, and he wants to get rid of a load of players as well. So we've talked about Icardi, but also Rajana Ingalan, uh, and a number of guys we've probably we've seen a bit on loan in the Premier League, like João Mario, who they spent a lot of money on. He's still around. So yeah, Conte's not best pleased um, at this moment in time. I'd say two weeks into the job at Inter, it's almost like year two at Chelsea. Um, <laughs> maybe that's uh, that. No, that is definitely an exaggeration. But uh, you know, as someone who's covered Chelsea closely yourself, you'll be very familiar with uh, how how Conte isn't afraid of sulking in front of the press when he doesn't get what he wants. A brief word on, on Moise Ken to Everton. That's, that's another bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? Yeah. Was he not the next big thing? Is is this an FFP compliance type of deal? Yeah, so it's not necessarily FFP compliant, but it is it is very much a kind of financial move, balance sheet move. You know, I mean, when you pay a hundred million for 
Ronaldo and you're paying him 30 million a year and then you sign Matthias De Ligt, you're going to have to bring in money from somewhere. I think they're reluctant to uh, to let Ken go. In fact, I think one of the sticking points in negotiation between them and Everton was Juventus wanted to do what they do in Italy often, which is put a buyback clause in there so they can get him for a relatively um, achievable fee. And Everton were like, no, we'll let you have first refusal. You can match whatever offer comes in for him. But, you know, we're prepared to pay, what, 25, 30 million, then bonuses, add-ons get up to 40. But it's not so much that he was the next big thing. He is the next big thing, Matt, in, in that he's scored goals whenever he's got opportunities not only at youth level, but you know, with the senior national team, then with Juventus, you know, sort of through February, March, he scored six goals in, not six goals, he scored in six straight games. He's a really talented centre forward and that position's been a problem for Italy for, for some time. And he's already proven that he can do it. I think that one of the motivations for moving to Everton is that he'll hope to be playing every week, which is something that Juventus just couldn't guarantee him. James Horncastle, thanks for stopping by. Catch him on the brand new Totally Football show on Tuesday, talking all the big news from across Europe. Um, Tom, some PSG news we ought to get your opinion on. Firstly, Idrissa Gay's coming from Everton. On the face of it, that looks like an unusually practical buy. Yeah, PSG are having an unusually practical transfer window. And for the first time in a little while, one of the issues that, that Thomas Tuchel had throughout last season was that his squad was just not well-equipped for... Uh, competing on multiple fronts. That's not the only reason that they went out of both domestic cups and fell short again in the Champions League, but it, but it was a factor. Um, you look at some of the business they've done so far, even before Idrissa Gay came in, taking Ander Herrera from Man United, signing Pablo Sarabia from Sevilla, a highly rated Spanish winger, um, Abdou Diallo, young French centre-back from Borussia Dortmund, uh, and then Idrissa Gay. They've not spent more than than 32 million euros on any of those players which for a club of PSG's resources means that these are sort of the equivalent of of budget signings but it's given them a squad depth that they didn't have last season I mean last season they were so bereft of central midfielders that Marquinhos one of the world's finest centre-backs ended up being converted into a, a holding midfielder playing alongside Marco Verratti they bought Leandro Paredes the Argentina international in the January transfer window and he was terrible absolutely terrible so they got to the end of the season with Verratti as their only fully functioning centre mid they've now got Herrera and Idrissa Gay you know both of whom can play in, in deep midfield positions obviously there's lots of talk about Neymar rumbling on and if he were to go in exchange for players then that would have an impact on the makeup of PSG's squad but I think if PSG could go into the season with the squad as it is now I suspect Thomas Tuchel will be quite happy so what's what's the beef with Neymar? Is it is it only Barcelona who are interested in him and is there some talk that maybe PSG don't want to sell him? PSG have let it be known that they would accept an offer for Neymar if a club met their valuation of him. And according to Le Keep this morning, that valuation is about 300 million euros, which is about 80 million euros more than what they paid for him in 2017. And phenomenal footballer and superstar that Neymar is, I'm not sure anything that he's done on the pitch in the last two seasons justifies that increase in his value. We know that he wants to go back to Barcelona and nowhere else and that Barcelona aren't entirely against the idea of him going back, but they're not completely enamoured with the idea either. So the suggestion at the moment is that Barcelona have suggested some sort of 
players plus cash swap deal involving people like Ivan Rakitic and Felipe Coutinho and PSG have said that they're not interested and that's the situation as it stands PSG want cash they're not really interested so much in, in getting players. Barcelona don't have the cash. They've just spent upwards of 120 million euros on Antoine Griezmann, various other players. So it it looks like a bit of a standoff. And my suspicion is that is that Neymar will remain at PSG just because he only wants to go to one club. And, you know, lest we forget, the circumstances that he left Barcelona in didn't leave the, the, uh, the sweetest taste in, in Barcelona. So they're not... You know they're not going to be receiving him back with open arms. So I, for me, it looks a little bit like he's stuck, um, unless Barcelona can come up with some sort of deal uh, that will appeal to PSG, um, can offer them players who they will be interested in. Uh, one thing they don't need anymore is, is centre mids. Offering Messi. Well, I mean that would there you work, go. Possibly. I wonder. I wonder whether <laughs> Usman Dembele <laughs> might might end up being a key figure in this because he plays in the same position as Neymar. And that would that would enable them to sort of that would enable PSG to replace Neymar with someone who is like for like. But then interestingly, Jose Bartolomeo, the Barcelona president, was quite outspoken recently, and he said that he thinks Dembele is a better player than Neymar. So for P- the, there are people at, at Barcelona who clearly feel that you know to, to welcome Neymar back would be quite an embarrassing thing for Barcelona to have to do. So it it's not looking all that good for his hopes of of, of being welcomed back with open arms. There's vague echoes, and I stress vague here, of uh, Michael Owen when he was at Real Madrid and he had it in his contract that he could go back to Liverpool. They would have first choice because he really wanted to go back to Liverpool. But then Liverpool would only, Rafa Benitez had a limited budget, he would only offer a certain amount, and Newcastle would basically gazump them. So maybe. Mike Ashley might fancy a little cheeky <laughs> cheeky bid for Neymar. <laughs> I think that's what we're all hoping to see. <laughs> uh, there are some transfers between English clubs to chat about that have happened since last we spoke. Sheffield United have agreed a £20 million deal to bring in Ollie McBurney. They've signed him from a Welsh club there. <laughs> ah, very good. Yes. You know are... the Welsh are like, they get very aggressive. Yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some good old British transfers to chat through uh, that have happened since the last time we spoke. Sheffield United have agreed a £20 million deal to bring in Ollie McBurney from Swansea. 22 goals in the Championship for him last season. Tom, as we know, that the Premier League is quite literally a different league. Can McBurney make the step up? It's a big ask. Yeah, it is a big ask. Um, and I, I think it just shows how how precious goals are that you have to spend that much money to buy a player who you know doesn't have any uh, experience at the highest level. I'm relieved that they are not going to be solely reliable on Lise Mousset, though, because he was their previous record transfer uh, coming in from Bournemouth for £10 million. And from what he's shown at Bournemouth, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be hanging my hat on him scoring the goals to, to keep them clear of the relegation zone. As we've seen in recent seasons, if you're, if you're a team fighting against relegation, you've got a player who you can depend on for anything upwards of 15 goals. And that goes, that goes quite a long way to you know, getting you to safety. I mean, but McBurney did play a few times for Swansea in the Premier League and, and didn't score. So, I mean, 20 million does scream, you know, quite a lot of money. For... But, but he does wear his socks rolled down around his ankles. I think we can, we can all get... That is good. That's probably worth 5 million. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the reason that we've got you in, Duncan, and the reason that everybody's tuning in and the reason that I showed up today is for you to give us some statistics on players with Mac in their name in the Premier League. Inevitable, isn't it? Um, so... Imagining Gary McAllister's going to feature quite well, a lot. Well, yeah. Uh, 38 players with Muck surnames. When I say Muck, I mean MC. I'm not going for MAC here. Yeah. We're going for we're some purist podcasters. So 38 players with Muck surnames have scored in Premier League history. 
Gary McAllister is indeed the top scoring player. Not only that, he's the only player ever born on Christmas Day to also score on Boxing Day in the Premier League, which I think is <laughs> nice because obviously his surname is McAllister, Home Alone, Kevin McAllister, etc. Only one of the top four Muck scoring players in Premier League history are actually Scottish. Um, after McAllister, you get Steve McManaman, Benny McCarthy and Brian McBride. So it just shows how the diaspora has spread. Um, and then the final thing, four of the top 11 Muck players are called James. James McCarthy, James McLean, Tom. Uh, James McCarthy. To be honest, I haven't written them down, but um, oh. it's nice. It's a nice touch with Jimbo <laughs> coming back next week. So, do, you, do you know who Gary McAllister scored against on Boxing Day? Not off the top of my head, no. Because I'm imagining that opposition keeper was like, look what you did, you little jerk, <laughs> if his team lost the game. Elsewhere in transfers, Aston Villa have confirmed today the £8 million deal for Tom Heaton. It looks eminently sensible for Villa, but maybe not for Burnley. They're leaving themselves a bit short. Well, it's weird because he came in halfway through last season. And basically, I mean, it could be a, it could be coincidence, but he turned Burnley's season around. Um, he only played in half of their games last season, but in 73% of their wins. Um, obviously, Burnley have got a weird goalkeeper scenario where they collect them like football stickers and they've uh, got Pope, who was injured for most of last season, Joe Hart as well. So they are reasonably well stocked in that department. But Heaton was very popular with, with Burnley fans. And I've seen a lot of Burnley fans this morning saying to Villa fans, you know, you've, you've signed an absolute gem here. Heaton actually had more headed shots last season for Burnley than Peter Crouch, which possibly was why Crouch retired. Um, and he is surprisingly old, I guess. He's actually six months older than Gabriel Bundlehor, So, But I think he'll do a really good job for, for Villa. Tom, age ain't nothing but a number for goalkeepers. Yeah. Villa have got a snip, haven't they? Eight million quid seems like a really good deal. Considering how much cash they've been splashing elsewhere, you probably get, what, at least three seasons out of Tom Heaton? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant bit of business um, and one that uh, I'm not sure too many people saw coming. I mean, as Duncan says, Heaton transformed Burnley's season last season. I mean, I, I can't remember a goalkeeper having such an impact on, on a team's fortunes. And uh, yeah, the fact that he was taken over from Joe Hart meant that there was there was quite a lot of attention on that. But Burnley just looked a different team and, you know, he played a really big role in them sort of getting through the, the mid-season slump that, that threatened to drag them down into the relegation places. Villa went through quite a few goalkeepers last season, so they could obviously do with with having a, a settled number one. But yeah, I think it's a great bit of business. England international, as you say, 33, he's probably got a few more years at the highest level with him. And I think if, if I was a Burnley fan, I'd be, I'd be a little bit worried about them going into the season with, with Nick Pope and, and Joe Hart. I mean, Nick Pope did very well when he came in for Tom Heaton... When was it? Season before last, when he had that injury. But yeah, I, you know, Tom Heaton's one of the best, one of the best goalkeepers around. So big loss for Burnley. Well, breaking news, courtesy of producer Abby. It won't be breaking by the time you listen to this, but it's breaking for us right now. Burnley have signed Bailey Peacock Farrell from Leeds United. He is not a member of Boris Johnson's cabinet. He <laughs> is a goalkeeper, um, but he's a very young one. So Joe Hart heading for the exit door. Nick Pope number one. I think Pope did enough two seasons ago. Statistically, that was the season that De Gea basically stopped an additional 14 goals. You know, it was the season that basically got United to second place, Mourinho's greatest ever achievement. So, But after De Gea, Pope had the best figures like that in the Premier League. So if he can get back to that form, I think he's a pretty good first choice. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well, time will tell on that one. Stick around, listener. We'll be talking Community Shield, EFL woes and the best next. 
So producer Abby and I were chatting yesterday. We realised we've not made much mention of the Premier League champs and what they've been up to this summer. Um, aside from apparently offending the most populous country on earth on their pre-season tour, it's been a pretty quiet summer thus far for Pep's people. That all changes come Sunday, though, as they face Liverpool in the Community Shield in what is the conventional drape lifter for the new season. Tom, they've brought in Rodri. Do they need to be bringing in anybody else? A, a replacement for, for Vinnie Kay, maybe? Yeah, I, I think they're actually quite well-stocked City uh, at centre-back. Um, I mean, clearly, Vincent Company is going to be a loss. You look at the amount of big games he ended up playing in last season. Uh, I think that was a sign that, that Guardiola still isn't 100% sure about John Stones. You would assume that City will approach the season with Stones and Laporte as as the first-choice centre-back pairing. And if not Stones, then, then Nicolas Otamendi. Rodri, the one big incoming signing, uh, and I think that's just an example of something City have done really well the last few years is is bringing players in to replace players who they're they're still dependent on, but who haven't got as much uh, football ahead of them as as they once did. So, Bernardo Silva, great example of that. You know, we know that David Silva is is going to leave the club at the end of this season, and and as sad as it will be to see him go, City already know who's going to take over from him. Um, and I, I guess we'll see the same thing happen with Rodri and, and Fernandinho. So, no, I mean, you know, City are, you know, the best team in the country. Last season demonstrated that. They're probably the best team we've seen in the Premier League. And uh, while they haven't brought in too many new players, I think they've they've strengthened intelligently. So, yeah, I think they're looking pretty good. OK, what about the Pepster, Duncan? This will be his fourth season at Manchester City, which is quite a lot for him at one club. Might, might it be his last? Yeah, I mean, he did four at Barcelona, which obviously has a lot of ties to. So possibly, I mean, there's always this long-standing rumour that he might take over Qatar before the before the next World Cup. But I think it's quite telling, really, that both City and Liverpool have not been massively active in the chance window. They're, they're two clubs that have got very good recruitment departments and they plan ahead very well. And, you know, as Tom said, they don't panic buy at the last minute. They, you know, they have players lined up for the long term. And I think neither of them really needed to massively strengthen this summer. And they haven't really but and at the same time as well you know people you can't really complain about City not signing loads of players and then also complain that your Phil Foden's aren't getting a run out and I think he might get you know significantly more playing time this season so it's Liverpool that they're facing on Sunday Uh, they had a pretty lacklustre pre-season but they did beat Lyon in Geneva on Wednesday night and Harry Wilson scored an amazing goal but it wasn't the best goal scored that night that went to Pedro Duncan tell us something about the Community Shield from a statistical point of view that we didn't previously know well the first one ever in 1908 went to replay can you imagine how rubbish that would have been (laughs) we did it the weekend I'm going to the replay of the uh, charity shield it's only the second ever meeting of Liverpool and City at Wembley which is given that they are now the new big two which is I think the Community Shield slash Charity Shield is very much a kind of guide to the, you know, the preeminence of clubs. So you had a lot of United v Arsenal in the in the nineties. You had a lot of United v Chelsea in the in the noughties. So you know, I imagine there'll be a fair few Community Shields between City and Liverpool over the next few years. But um, yeah, I mean, Aguero could become the first player to score in consecutive Community Shields since Adrian Heath in 1985 and 1986. So uh, that's something to look out for. Defo. Wow. Uh, Tom, like me, do you wish they'd go back to the old system of a draw and you share it for six months each? No, I quite like I quite like the penalty shootout because it's, it's about community. It's in the title. I mean, yeah, the, there, there is that, but everyone likes a penalty shootout, and and it's and they're quite fun penalty shootouts. I think partly because no one really knows even now 
how important the Community Shield is. Do you is it a friendly? It a trophy, yeah. Is it an official game? Is it a competitive game even? And as a consequence, when you get down to penalty shootout, no one wants to look like they're they're that keen to win it because it's it's only the Community Shield. But at the same time, there is that that desire to to win things. It's funny actually that the Community Shield has this peculiar status here. In in other European countries, the equivalent match is seen as a significant piece of silverware, and we mock. Jose Mourinho for including it in his the formidables last his, season. Well, exactly uh, in his treble or in Man City's quadruple last season. But you know, it's it's a, it's a game between often the two best teams in the country. Uh, it's the first time we get a proper look at them at the start of a new season. And so I, I don't necessarily agree that it should be sort of written off as a friendly. And I noticed that, that Jurgen Klopp took quite unkindly to the suggestion that it was only a friendly. I think clearly the clubs see it as somewhere between a friendly and a proper competitive match. Should be pointed out that two-time European Cup winners not enforced have only won it once, which uh disappointing. League One next. Yes, we're talking League One. If you're a continental fancy land type who cares not for England's third tier, just think of it as a sort of Google Translate league earn. Uh, Berry and Bolton both in the news this week. They'll start the season on minus 12 points each because of ongoing financial problems. Berry's season opener against MK Dons is off. For more on the story, listen to the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and co where they get into the nitty gritty of the EFL. Duncan, you're a Wickham fan. Your team's game against Bolton nearly called off, but it is going ahead. Mm. Where's your criticism on this? Is it is it at the EFL and they're not very fit and proper fit and proper persons test, or or should those in charge of Barry and Bolton be getting the stick? I think you can probably point a finger at everyone, really. I mean, obviously some of these takeovers are not as uh, as good as as promised, but then you know a lot of clubs are kind of overstretched. I know Stephen Presty, Carlisle manager, has been particularly outspoken this week about Barry. And it's a bit odd as well because obviously Bolton seem to be edging towards sort of stability of sorts, whereas Berry are very much still in in the mire. Wickham have actually had to sell the Bolton fans tickets for this game because Bolton don't have any way of selling tickets to their own fans currently. Bolton's team, I mean, Gareth Ainsworth, the Wickham manager, has said that we've been unable to scout Bolton because we don't even know who's going to be playing for them. So it's going to be a very odd match. Yeah, I mean, that minus 12 could easily be minus 15, minus 18 in a couple of weeks into the season. So, yeah, not not great. And, you know, it's easy to focus on, on the Premier League, but there's a lot of turmoil lower down. And, you know, I think something does need to change over the next few years. Well, this was a point, Tom, that Nigel Clough, the Burton Albion manager, has been, been making this week, saying that Premier League clubs should put their hands in their pockets and help those in the EFL. Does he have a point? Is that is that too much of a short-term solution? Yeah, it feels like a bit of a short-term solution, and I think the Premier League would probably argue that it, and, and the Premier League does argue that it, it does, it does already, um, you know, pay money to, to teams at this sort of level. I think you look at the case of Berry, and, and clearly the way that that Steve Dale, the owner, went went about taking over the club left a lot to be desired. But then the fact that he was able to do that suggests that the structures that are in place to prevent dodgy owners, shall we say, from taking over clubs um, aren't as, as tough as they should be. So I think at a time when these sorts of cases seem to be cropping up with increasing regularity, it, it, it feels like it would be an appropriate juncture for the authorities to look at the look at the way that these deals are able to to go through and, and, and perhaps put some more put some more roadblocks in the way so that we don't see, you know, grand old clubs like Bury and Bolton having to go through the indignity of points deductions and scraping around at the high court and, and all the rest of it. There'll be teams in League 2 who feel that Bury 
got promoted unrealistically last season, and now what's happened is both. Uh, basically Plymouth have stripped Barry of their manager and some of their best players and they probably will do that to another League 2 team this season so it's, it is yeah there's if there's going to be a solution it needs to be a general solution you can't just bail out club individual clubs because they've you know gone awry they might have done so through a fault no fault of their own but or they might have been badly run so I think it, it needs to be a general kind of redistribution as I say, plenty more on this and everything else EFL related on the Totally Football League show. It drops every Wednesday this season. If you've not listened before, here's a taster. Adrian! It's Caroline. Uh, just check in that you're OK and coming back on Wednesday to the podcast this season. Yeah, hey Caroline. Yeah, I'm just getting my stats in line, brushing the dust off the match report book. See you Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Good, good, good. Sam, Sam, it's Caroline here. Hope you're well. I haven't been scared off from last season yet, have you? Well, more to do this season on the Championship, on League One, on League Two. It's on a Wednesday this year. Hi, Caroline. Yep, yeah, all good. Getting my scouting reports ready as I text. I've got a chic new wardrobe sorted, ready to work in Soho. And I'll see you Wednesday. I am going to miss talking about Johnny McGinn, though. I'll tell you that much. Joe, are you there? Joe? Joe, it seems to be a problem with your, your line. You're right. It's OK. I'm sure Bolton will be all right. They'll have a good crack at, at League Two. I mean, League One and get some players into. That was a deliberate mistake. I'll work it out. It'll all be OK in the end. Yeah, I know it's tough being a football fan. Let me tell you about Chelmsford. Are you still there, Joe? That's the band then back together again. Just have to wait for the season to start. That's the Totally Football League show, just like it was last year, but now on a Wednesday. Right, time to get some odds. Producer Ben has been speaking with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Matt Davis-Adams. And let me say, what an absolute pleasure it's been having you present the show these past few weeks. Now then, Lee Price is on the line. He's from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's start with the sort of competitive game that's coming up this weekend. It's the charity shield between Liverpool and Man City. Give us the overall for this and the first goal scorer markets, please. The big rivalry begins. Uh, this one you could predict pretty much, I think. City's lift the trophy 4-7 to seven odds on. Liverpool 7-5, to five. and that's going to be the story of those two teams for this season, we think, in our betting. Just look at the Premier League market. As for first goal scorer market, similarly predictable, you know the big names at the top of that. Sadio Mane missing, though. So might there be value in someone like Rian Brewster or Divock Origi for Liverpool? Or how about the big man himself, Virgil van Dijk, around 16-1 to one to open the scoring. He's going for the Ballon d'Or, apparently. Not a bad way to start his new season. All right, apropos of absolutely nothing, can you give us the numbers, please, on Big Sam being back in the Premier League this coming season? <laughs> it gets a bad rep, but personally, I'd love to see it. If Steve Bruce could be Newcastle manager, Big Sam absolutely back in the league this season, which means that it might be value at the price we're offering. Our traders offer 5-1 to one that Big Sam takes a Premier League job this term. That's probably gone a little bit longer than it would have been after he said recently that he didn't fancy taking the Newcastle job bit of cash though and it might tempt him and something far more serious what's the golden boot market looking like yeah an interesting market a few seasons ago you could say there's value in this but the last few terms it's been the same old faces and again they dominate the betting here harry kane the favorite four to one most Salah just behind him at nine to two and then you've got sergio aguero and pierre emmerich abemiang both at six to one after that there's a bit of a chasm there You've got Jamie Vardy at 17 to 1 looking interesting, and you can get 11 to 1 on Sadio Mane, although, of course, as we know, he's going to start the season late. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop.
Now, Cristiano Ronaldo, you remember him, listener. Uh, he's in a bit of bother. This is after he failed to take to the field in Juventus' friendly against the K-League All-Stars in South Korea, despite being advertised for an appearance of at least 45 minutes. A group of supporters who went to the match are seeking compensation of 70,001, which is £48.50, the cost of their ticket. Also, 1,001 for ticket commission fee and a million one each for compensation for mental anguish. <laughs> A lawyer from the firm taking on the case has said, as for the mental anguish part, I'd like to say some of them are raucous fans, the real avid fans. So for them, it's very painful because they love Ronaldo and want to protect him, but they can't given the situation. Um, Duncan, have you ever been at Adams Park and suffered mental anguish because Gareth Ainsworth's left Adebayo Akinfenwa on the bench? No, although we did once play a FA Cup game in 2000 and uh, against Hayes, no, sorry, against Harrow. They brought on the agent, Barry Silkman, as a sub, as a kind of favour. Um, and I remember turning to my friend and saying, I've given up on the FA Cup now. This has completely devalued it. Um, it was the season Wickham actually got to the semi-final. I didn't give up on it, uh, as it turns out. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's a weird one with Ronaldo. I mean, I would have tried to placate the fans by telling them that he's made as many substitute appearances in the Premier League as Mara and Schumach and Graham Doran. So I know are both huge in, uh, in Korea. So, but yeah, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Robin Chang, CEO of The Faster, the Korean agency which arranged the game, broke down in tears when talking about this on, on TV and confirmed that the contract stipulated Big Ron appear for 45 minutes. Uh, Tom, when was the last time football made you cry? I'm going to say Euro 2016. <laughs> yeah, got it. I got it in one. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I... Did I actual, did I cry actual tears? I'm not sure I did. But that's, that's about as, as tearful as I've felt watching football of late. Watching, And that was the... the the win over Belgium rather than the, the loss to Portugal. I think most Welsh fans had come to terms with the, the adventure ending by the time that game came to an end. Well, hopefully these Korean supporters will come to terms with the fact that Ronaldo did not play. Uh, by the way, I, mean, Jim... I do, I do sympathise with them a little bit. He's going to sit on the bench. Then. Yeah, Just... It's one thing for him not to turn up, for him to be sitting there on the bench and, apparently and they not even put him on for on. 10 minutes. Mm. Well, it, he refused to come on, apparently. Yeah. Pavel Nedved was getting loads of stick on the side from supporters saying, where's our Ronaldo? Not cool, Ronnie. By the way, Jimbo is definitely back Monday and he'll be presenting the entire pod, so please don't contact Muddy News Media saying you've suffered at the hands, brackets voice, of his clueless stand in these past few weeks. Right, nearly there, listener, but we've saved the best till last. Yes, can you believe it's been nearly a year since the FIFA Best Awards? Remember the 2018 bash? Thingy won Best Male Player. What's-her-name was voted Best Female Coach? Golden times. Here's who's up for the gongs this time. In terms of the men, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Harry Kane, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Matthias De Ligt, Frankie de Jong, Kylian Mbappe and Edin Hazard. The Women's Award, Lucy Bronze, Julia Ertz, Caroline Graham Hansen, Arda Hergerberg, Amandine Henri, Sam Kerr, Rose Lavelle, Vivian Miedemar, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Wendy Renard and Ellen White. In terms of the managers, the male category, we've got Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Maurizio Pochettino, Jamel Belmardi, Didier Deschamps, Marcelo Gallardo, Ricardo Gareca, Fernando Santos, Eric Ten Hag and Chiche. <laughs> Seems weird saying a man's name in the women's award category. The best coach of a female team, I guess they're going to have to call this. Jill Ellis, Phil Neville, Milena Bertolini, Peter Gahadson, Fatoshi Ikeda, Antonia East, Joe Montemuro, Reynal Pedros, Paul Riley, and Serena Weigman. So Jill Ellis and Megan Rapino will be winning the female categories. I think we can say that pretty comprehensively. Tom, what about best male player? Do you even care? Who do you think is going to win? <sighs> yeah, I don't know really. Slightly surprised that Bernardo Silva. 
uh, didn't make the cut after the fantastic season he had with City and then winning the Nations League with Portugal. Um, and I noticed that various Man City fans have been kicking off about that on social media, not like uh, City to uh, indulge themselves in conspiracy theories. Very good. Virgil van Dijk, obvious standout candidate, the best player from European champions. Cristiano Ronaldo picked up another gong with Portugal after a pretty impressive first season with Juventus. So yeah, I think probably probably one of those two. Am I missing anyone? I'd probably go with one of those two. Uh, the awards are going to be held in Milan, by the way, so Jimbo's definitely going to be there for that. I think we can be fairly certain. Uh, whilst we're talking about women's football players, worth a mention that Tony Duggan has moved from Barcelona to Atletico Madrid, which in men's football terms, which is how we all like to talk about women's football, is like Tony Duggan moving from Atletico Madrid to Barcelona. Basically, she's joined the Spanish champs, which is no bad thing. Finally, 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 some good news to end on north of the border as Britain's worst professional football team have finally ended a 73-game winless run stretching back 840 days. Yes, all hail Fort William, who had a minus 221 goal difference last season as they beat Nairn County 5-2 in the North of Scotland Cup on Wednesday night. For more stuff like that, we've got the Totally Scottish Football Show, which is out on Friday with their season preview. Um, Tom, weekend plans. Have you got anything to sell or give away? That went quite successfully last season, didn't it? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really. Weekend plans are going to a picnic, my friend Katie's birthday, um, and then might try and take in the Trophée des Champions on Saturday, PSG v, uh, v Rennes in the traditional Levé de Rideau of the uh, French football season. That's Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Rennes, who are not the team they were when they beat PSG in the Coupe de France final, uh, having sold various players and with various players missing because of the Africa Cup of Nations. And then looking forward to the Community Shield on Sunday. I've watched very little football. In fact, I've watched zero football since the end of the Women, Women's World Cup. So I'm, I feel starved of football. Um, that is the right approach. Yeah. Pre-season games are wrong. Yeah. In terms Agreed. of the picnic, uh, I'm sure you have a nice time, but generally find you have to lower your expectation in terms of the food at least because it's just not that practical to get a decent meal out of a picnic, I find. Are you going to be kettle chips and some sour cream and chive dip and, and you'll be happy, or are you expecting something a bit more complex? Yeah, I'm quite a big crisps fan. and I don't really eat crisps. I don't really have crisps at home. I try and keep crisps out of the house to avoid sort of Binge. stuff in my face with crisps. So I kind of feel like when I have an opportunity to eat loads of crisps... I've I've earned the right to to have a bit of a binge. So yeah, probably be a cheeky cheeky kettle crisp sesh Saturday uh, afternoon. On kettle chips, my friend Ben, not that one, he's a listener to the show, thinks that kettle chips are an occasion crisp. So he won't eat them on anything other than a birthday, a bar mitzvah or that kind of thing. Where do mm. you stand on that, Duncan? Because I think you can make a normal day an occasion by having a packet of kettle chips. No, I agree with, with Ben, actually. I think they're... The individual packets of kettle chips are wrong. They should only be served in a in a family sized bag for me. Same with Pringles. You know the little the little tubes of Pringles. It's got to be it's got to be the full one. IMO. I uh, should just say kettle chips are available now. If you want to send them into the new office, that would be much appreciated. That's kettle chips. Uh, Duncan, how are you treating the post Tour de France Blues? Uh, it's been been difficult actually. I've been watching a lot of uh, montages this week. Yeah, love a montage. But um, Mark yeah. Butcher doing the uh, guitar yeah, enjoyed that maybe. Butcher yeah. by name, um, etc. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, obviously it's it's time. Well, you know, Tour de France ends. 
Yeah, there is the classic of San Sebastian this weekend. I can hear everyone saying, yeah, that is true. But um, the Football League season kicks off with uh, Wickham having made about eight signings in a week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then I'm off for a few days holiday on Sunday, pre-season, pre-Premier League season training camp. Where um, are you going? La Manga? No, going to Suffolk. So not, not quite the same, yeah. But uh, yeah few blood bags and I'll be ready for the new season <laughs> well thanks to you both for your company today thank you listener for putting up with me for the past fortnight will James Richardson continue my baffling insistence on crowbarring in references to two time European champions Nottingham Forest highly unlikely but the only way to find out for sure is to tune in on Monday bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.